You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Praise God as you see that open your Bible at Hebrews chapter 4. Now last week we began looking at understanding and entering God's rest in His kingdom. The Word of God talks about rest, and I introduced the word Sabbath, which we will look at in detail, because there's reason and there's purpose behind everything that God establishes. And it's vitally important that we understand these things. Sometimes, you know, it's great to have a message where you just uh, encouraged and it's all hype and everybody's raving and it's cheering, and uh, I like those services. They are good, and it's good to be encouraged. We also need to know the foundation to our word. We need to understand why we shout, why we believe what we believe. Because if we don't understand the purpose of anything, you've heard it said before, if you don't understand the purpose of a thing, abuse is inevitable. And that's exactly how the enemy works. He will take things that God establishes. And if he can't get you to just say, I don't believe that, that's his first point. If he can get you to not even believe there's a God, that's obviously his primary purpose. But it's for the word's sake. But if you find someone who does want to believe God, does want to serve him, then all he needs to do is take the things that God puts out for us to believe. And there's purpose behind that belief. But if he can turn it into some kind of religious ritual, then what happens is that religious ritual steals the power that that thing originally was intended for. And it can be used not only to steal the power of it, it can be used to abuse people. There's whole organizations that call themselves church, and yet there's spiritual toxicity. Uh, There's a a deadness, that it's a dead service, and people are not changed. People are brought into bondage. And Jesus said, His burden is light. His yoke is light. His burden is easy. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. So if, if He calls us, yes, there is a yoke, but He's the one that carries the yoke. Hallelujah. It's to bring us into conformity with Him. That when we walk together with Him, we'll experience everything God intends for us. Jesus' whole intention of going to the cross was to release mankind from the burden of the curse. Anything that would try to bring us into bondage. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so we need to understand why God establishes certain things in the kingdom of God. So that we don't land up in abuse. We don't land up in confusion. And it shouldn't be a point of contention. It should be something that sets us free. And so we want to go through the process of finding out why is there a Sabbath in the first place? What's its purpose? What's the reason it's there? Now to understand that, we just began last week having a look at Hebrews chapter 4. Because yeah, we see that the writer says there is a promise that remains of entering his rest. So if it's a promise, it's because God wants you to have it. All His promises are? Yes and? So be it. So be it. God gives a promise. Amen means so let it be. So if His promises are yes, that means when you go to Him, the answer is already yes. 
you find something in his will, you don't have to wonder if God's going to do it. He says, if I said it, that means I'm going to do it. But then there's the amen, which is then let it be so in my life. If there's a promise from God, I want it. And you say amen to that. So now we find there is a promise of his rest. Everybody say his rest. Now, when we talk about his rest, that's what we're focusing on. It's a rest that God has determined. He said, us, let, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. In other words, you can hear the word of God, faith comes. Somebody said, I wish I had more faith. The most staunch atheist. The atheist of atheists, when he hears the word of God, has faith. You can take something, they don't believe in water, you throw water on them, they're still wet. So when you hear the word, faith comes. But that faith can die in an instant if it's not put to action. And yeah, he says, they had the faith, they heard the word, but it didn't work because they didn't mix it with the faith of action. So once you mix it with having heard, believe, now we must act on it. And so it didn't profit them. They got the word, but it didn't work for them. And he says, verse 3, for we who have believed do enter that rest. He said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Talking about the children of Israel that walk through the wilderness after rejecting his promise of the land flowing with milk and honey. He says, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. We're not trying to beg God and trick him into blessing us. No, he already has blessed us. He said on the cross, it is finished. Everything I need to do is now complete. And it's available to you as a believer. Verse 4, he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this place, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore, remain, since therefore it remains that some must enter it. What's it? This rest. Those to whom it was first preached did not enter. Why? Because of disobedience. Now we can learn from that. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, When? Today. How have you been using today this week? How are you claiming your todays? See, that you decide your day. I don't, you know, it's like Pharaoh when Moses went to him and said, I can get rid of the frogs. You tell me when. And he said, Tomorrow. I always want to. <laughs> You know, one more night with the frogs. We, you know, we, we can get rid of it, but not. Uh, we want to sleep amongst all the green slime. Just one more night, please. It doesn't make sense. He says, when do you want to get rid of it? Now. I'm ready for some todays. And so after such a long time, it said, today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So we lose a lot from the kingdom of God because we start off, if we don't understand the concept of renewing our mind, many people start off with, I just don't see it that way, or I don't agree, or I don't believe that. No, the first step towards receiving the fullness of God's word is softening your heart and saying, if he said it, I may not understand it right now, but I want it. 
So, verse nine, uh, verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There therefore remains a rest for the people of God. God says, you are my people. I am your God. I will be a God to you. Say, my God has told me that there is a rest for me. Verse 10, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest we fail according to the same example of disobedience. Notice he says, let us therefore be diligent. Another translation says, labor to enter the rest. Labor to enter into the rest. Now we know when we talk about labor in the kingdom of God, we're not talking about sweat and toil. There is something we need to do, but not sweat about it. So in other words, you're going to labor. In other words, there's an effort, there's a reason, there, there, there's this necessary action in order to enter into rest. That's what we're looking at, because he says now, therefore be diligent. How do you want to enter into the rest of God? So now we need to be diligent to know how to do that. Now he gives us a key, he says in verse 10, he who has entered God's rest has himself, that's you. So the he is you. In order to enter into God's rest, then you must also cease from your works as God ceased from his works. So there's a key now of how to enter this rest. Look at verse 4. He has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So what is that? Well, come, let's go have a look at that. Genesis chapter 1. Seems like if you want to understand the purpose of a thing, you begin in the beginning. What we're going to do now is very often as I minister and teach, I will refer to things that I assume most of us know. You know, I say, remember when Adam, remember when he said, and everyone goes, yes, amen. But I don't want to take that for granted because the Bible says that all Scripture is given for instruction. There's a reason why it's written from in the beginning. God doesn't say, don't worry, I, I created everything, just believe that, now let me help you. No, he maps it out. And why is it mapped out? Because when you understand God's kingdom and how his kingdom functions, then you will understand why this law is here. See, very often when we think of laws like, what is sin? What is sin? Well, it's everything that God says, thou shalt not. And even that which he says, thou shalt, if you don't do it, that is sin. Isn't that interesting? God gives an instruction. You may not do anything wrong, but just don't do what he says. The Bible says that's still sin. So you can sin without acting. You're getting this. 
So, but why is it sin? What is sin? And why is sin sin? Is it just things God doesn't like? You know, he's a certain type personality, and there's some things that really irritate him, and so he listed them, thou shalt not. Because when you do that, it irritates me, therefore it's sin. I don't like to have that. No, the reason he defines sin is he knows what will destroy our lives. See, when we raise our children, and we say, don't do that, and they say, why? And say, because I'm your father. That is not the right answer. Because that's not the reason we're saying don't do it. The reason is it can hurt you. And if you explain to a child without fear, saying if you carry on doing this, the result can be. Now, if I understand that, then I won't do it. Unless I want that result. You see that. So if I understand why it's established in the first place, then I understand why sin is so dangerous. So now it's easier not to sin. Because I'm not not sinning because I'm scared of hell. Because all that the devil has to do is just wipe out the idea that there even is a hell. If he can eliminate the idea that there's a hell, well then what's the reason I can't do it anymore? See, that's relative truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. It's not my truth and your truth. There is the truth. And the reason is because if I don't follow that, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's not means that if you sin, then you earn death. No, if you sin, you will die. That's the result of sin. So, I don't want to die. I want to live. Therefore, I'm going to obey what God says. So now, if I understand how His kingdom works, what His purpose for the kingdom is, the purpose for you and me to even live and exist, When I understand that in perspective, then everything else will fall into perspective. And now in context, the rest of God. Why does the rest exist? Why does the Sabbath exist? And to understand that, if I track through what God did, because Yari did. in, in, In Hebrews, he said, he referred to on that day he said. So let's go find out how that day happened. Well, we start Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. Everyone say, in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Notice, the Spirit of God can be present, and nothing can happen. How many you know the Holy Spirit is always present in your life? So if we want to see the power of God in operation, we're not saying, God, when will you? Why haven't you? Because yeah, we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the deep. Nothing's happened yet. Verse 3, then God said. Now, if that's not underlined in your Bible, you need to underline it now. Then God said, let there be light. And... There was light. Now, if you read that from the original Hebrew text, it's written in a way where God doesn't say, let there be like, you know, now it's time for light to happen. No, it's an instruction. And he literally addresses light. It's written this way. Light be. Light be. And then there was light. I love the way that's written. God says, light be, 
light was. It's like a natural manifestation. It's obvious. As God speaks, it exists. As God speaks, it exists. He says, light be, light was. Everybody say, light be, light was. And God saw the light, verse 4, that it was good. Everybody say, it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And so the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, underline that. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide waters from the waters. And thus God made, underline that, thus God made the firmament, divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And the firmament above he called heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Uh, there's a firmament above and the firmament beneath and firmament and all the firmaments. And everyone's like, what's a firmament? What's a firmament? You understand that there was always a lot of water on the planet. And then at the beginning of creation, I don't have time to go into the depths of it. Don't, don't take me too long down this track now because when people are listening, they, they pull on you. But what happened is all this water was on the earth. God needed dry land. So he caused a space. Firmament means space, area. Caused the space to develop between the water on the earth and the water above it. In other words, that the, the earth itself now has water on it. Then there's firmament, which is the space around us. And then there's this other water, which is surrounding. It's like a huge bubble but not a thin one, a thick one. So there was this huge water canopy, if you want to call it, that surrounded the whole earth. And uh, that is what God used to protect the earth from things like all the ultraviolet rays and the infrared rays and all that sort of thing. And that was like a mini greenhouse, if you want to put that. Remember, fast forward to Noah when the, when the, when the flood happened. The Bible says the heavens opened. And there was so much water that fell and covered the earth. Where did that water come from? It was already up there. So I'm just putting that out there so we can look at the detail of that more. But someone may have been wondering what this verse means. What it's saying basically is there was a lot of water on the earth. God separated this water into the heavens. Which So you've got the three heavens. The first heaven is this where the birds fly. Second heaven is the space outside there where all the planets and the stars are. And then the third heaven is God's place of domain. So now this, as he separated the firmament, you had this water above and the earth in between in the, in, with inside that. That's that space. That's what he's talking about. Does that make more sense? Okay. That's not the purpose behind what I'm teaching today. So just take note of that. So, but the point is... Uh, Verse 6, God said. Verse 7, thus God made. So how did God make? He spoke. That's the point I'm trying to get across here. It's not like God stepped down onto the planet and took buckets and threw all this water into the air. Are you with me? 
How do, you, how do you control a planet? Not with diggers and trucks and hello. No, he just spoke. God said, let there be a firmament. What happened? Thus it happened. And there was. And so, thus God made. So God constructed by speaking. Verse 10. God called the dry land earth and the gathering together the waters he called the seas. And God saw it was good. Verse 11. Then God said, underline that. Let the earth bring forth grass. Now that the earth has been established, God now speaks to the earth. Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that heals seed and the fruit tree that heals fruit according to its kind and whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And what brought forth grass? The earth. And then look at the end of that verse. And God saw it was good. So notice, God first spoke, light be, light was. By the time we get down to the firmament, God said, thus God made. Now he speaks to the earth. Let the earth bring forth. So now it's not him anymore. Because it says the earth brought forth. See, he first said light be. Where's light come from? He is light. So he brings this unique form of glory from within himself that now manifests as tangible matter. Once the tangible matter has been placed, he does something with it. He speaks and it listens. Once it's listened and it's done, he now gives it an instruction. Now you bring forth. See, I brought light. Now it's time for you to bring forth. And the land brings forth. See, we think of sand and soil and rocks as dead matter. It has a life in it. It, it has a, an ability to hear. And it has ability to respond. How did it bring forth? Because God said bring forth. But how would it, why didn't it bring forth before? Obviously, it was triggered on his words. That means it heard. It didn't need ears to hear. Some of us are catching up quicker. You must remember, I've been spending a lot of time in this. So you can come for the ride. You ready? All right. Verse 13. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 14. What does it say? I'm trying to get a point across here. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Look at 18. And God saw it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Notice. Night and day, light and dark existed before the sun was even put into place. Are you getting this? So God puts these stars and planets into place. 
Verse 20, then God said, underline that, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. And then let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with every, with the waters with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was, notice verse 20, God said, verse 21, so God created. But you notice he spoke to the water. Let the waters abound. Verse 22, God blessed them saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters in the, in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth. Who must bring forth? The living creature according to its kind. Verse 25. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind. Are you picking up a process here? God spoke, and then what happened? That thing brought it forth, and the Bible attributed that to God creating. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Now God all this time has been spoke, for, spoke to light first, then he spoke to the firmament, and then he spoke to the earth, spoke to the waters. Now he's addressing himself. Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle of all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. Now, how did he bless them? The key is in the next few statements. And God said. Family, do you notice that every time God does something, he's speaking. God blessed them and he said. The blessing is a spoken word. Be fruitful. Multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is in the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird in the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every herb, green herb for food. And it was so. Now listen. Then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Chapter 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were. Were. Ah. Now remember, he said they were finished before the foundation of the world. Now it says, yeah, they are now finished in the natural. So in other words, it begins with 
already existing in the realm of the Spirit, then God says it manifests. Where? From the realm of the Spirit into the natural. And now God says, now that it's in the natural, He says, yeah, it is finished. Creation is done. It is working. And on that seventh day, God ended His work which He had done. Now, how did He done it? We've just seen. We went through great extents. There's a reason behind them going to extend on this. God said, and it was so. God said, and it brought forth. God said, thus He created. So now He's finished His creation. And on that seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. So he's been very busy speaking. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Now, how much labor did he get into? First of all, he doesn't have a body. He's spirit. How much effort do you need to put into speaking? How physically tired do you think he was? He's not resting because he's tired. Listen to the wording. Verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the house were finished. And he rested. That rest means there's nothing more to do. There's nothing more to do. So if there's nothing more to do, what do you do? What do you call that? So if there's nothing more to do, what do you do? Nothing. What's that? Rest. You're not resting because you're exhausted or you're tired. He's resting because there's nothing more to do. And so God blessed that seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested, he was complete, he was done from all his work, which God had created and made. Which God had created and made. Family of God, let me just say this now so that it's in your thinking for the future, the next messages is that, notice, it's the seventh day. Sometimes Christians, there are some that think that now that we're Christians, Sunday becomes our Sabbath. Sunday's the first day. It always has been the first day. So going to church on a Sunday is not equivalent to obeying the Sabbath. And I'll get into the detail of that. So Sabbath is not equivalent to going to church, because which church did God go to yet? That's, that's something when people challenge Sunday worship on, worshiping on a Sunday, you're supposed to keep the Sabbath on Saturday. Well, what were you talking about? Well, you go to church on Sunday. Yes. We're supposed to keep the Sabbath. I do. But you go to church on Sunday. Yes. So isn't the Sabbath on a Saturday? Yes. You, can you see how if you don't understand from the perspective of what we're studying, it can sound confusing. 
Because yeah, God rested, but he didn't go to church. He rested because he was done. And, now keep reading, come down to verse 7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Uh, other texts will write that, according to the Hamash, it says he became a speaking spirit. That's the Hebrew that's used. He becomes a speaking spirit. That's different to anything else he created. In other words, with man he created. And you notice when he went through creation, he created the, the, the light. And then the seas he separated. And then he put uh, birds and animals and fish into place. You notice all the time God always said, it is good. It is good. But when he created man, it's the first time he spoke to his creation. Let us make man. Man came forth and then God blessed them. He spoke to them. He never spoke to the fish. Never spoke to the animals. Never spoke to the birds. All he said was, it was good. He spoke to creation to bring forth. Once it was done, he now said with the animals... All they needed to do as he blessed them was to go multiply. That was their instruction. With man, he now dresses him from the perspective of being God. And he says, yeah, out of the ground, then the Lord God planted a garden. Well, first verse 7 again. Man became a living being, say a speaking spirit. So he creates in man, it's the only creature on the planet that can speak from the perspective of creation. I know parrots can speak, but they mimicking what you said. They got no idea what they say. Are you with me? They're just a sound. But we are the ones that speak with the intention of creation. Verse 8. Then God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow, and is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree was life. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So you can see verse 7 to 9 is more or less a summary of chapter 1. Come down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. And of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, from here on, we're going to do a little bit of a fast forward because what happened now, you understand God has now created this man. He's created all of creation. Took six days to put it into place. Then on the sixth day, he creates his man, blesses him, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, shows him everything he has. Here's your food. For the rest of time, you'll have food. There's one requirement. Don't eat of the knowledge of the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the seventh day, God rests. So this man looks at God, who's now created him to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But now there's nothing left to do. But you notice how God told Adam that he must tend the garden. He must tend the garden. So there is work to do. There is work to do. 
So now he has the responsibility of overseeing this garden, of looking after it. You know, as a result of that, God looked and saw that man was alone. He said, it's not good that man is alone. Puts him to sleep, takes Eve from his side. Now he has a wife, Adam and Eve. He still addresses them as Adam, as one. But now they're two different people. The serpent shows up. I'm going very quickly now because I want to get to the next point. The serpent shows up and gets them to question whether God's keeping anything back from them. And he says, well, maybe God's, because then Eve talks about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, we can eat of anything except the tree. And he said, the day you eat of that, you, you, know, you will die. That's what God said. And the, the serpent said, no, you're not going to die. The problem is you're going to look like God. You're going to be like God, be just like him. And uh, that's what he is afraid of. But of course, they were created in his image. They already were like him. And so they go ahead and they eat of it. And their eyes are open. They see they're naked. God comes to visit them in the cool of the day. And Adam is hiding. God says, where are you? And it's all revealed. He says, it's the woman you gave me. So he says, what's wrong with you? And, and then she says, well, he doesn't say, what's wrong with you? Just dealt with it on the issue. And then he said, uh, then she said, it's the serpent. And so God has to deal with the serpent. And he addresses him on the basis of the covenant that he will send someone who will come and destroy that curse. But now listen, what I want you to get from this is he speaks to Adam. And what he says to Adam is critical. Verse 17. Then he said to Adam, Because you heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you to say you shall not eat of it, this man had one instruction. God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, eat freely, do whatever you want, go have a fun. This creation was for you. In other words, there's a bunch of thou shalt. Thou shalt multiply, thou shalt increase, thou shalt eat of the food, thou shalt multiply your produce, thou shalt prosper. One, thou shalt not. Vrachis, that's the one he goes in. And God says, now you've got to understand why thou shalt not exist in the first place. Because you've eaten. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now the first time we find physical work introduced. And not just physical work. He was already tending the garden. He would have to walk around and he'd have to do it. This toil is talking about sweat, labor. In toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Adam, I created you to be like me. 
The way I operate is I speak and creation responds. Now, because you chose an alternative method, you have now, I showed you on the seventh day, rest. Now, there's no more rest. You've now caused a situation where you're going to sweat and toil, and there will not be enough hours in the day to get done what you're trying to do, which I created to manifest for you. Now you're going to work, you're going to sweat to get anything, even to eat the bread that you have that's normal for everyday food, you're going to sweat for it. Now, was that God's plan? No. Because if you have a look from that moment on, that sin caused man to degrade, where we see murder introduced through Cain and Abel. We see whole nations rejecting God, serving all kinds of foreign gods. Creation has now totally, mankind is depraved, worshiping everything. It's worshiping all the animals that were created, worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars and worshiping things and rocks and things like that. And God's going, this is not the way I intended for my man to live. Slaughtering each other, killing each other, oppressing each other. And so eventually, fast forward after centuries, God gets a hold of a man. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says, I am not going to leave my man in the depravity of the curse. I never created this earth to carry the curse. I never created my man to live under the curse. I am not going to leave it there. I made a covenant with a man in the garden, and I told him that I would bring a redeemer. Now, I'm going to make sure that plan comes to pass. Abraham, I'm starting with you. Now, notice he didn't say, I'm going to make you a great religion. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And in that nation, you're going to bless this earth. I'm going to bring back my original plan the way I established it in the beginning. And he takes him and he says, I will take you to the land that I will show you. And so God begins this plan of redemption, this plan of recovery, a great recovery of getting the earth back to the way he established it in the Garden of Eden. So how did he do it with Abraham? You want to know? That would be next week. You don't want to miss that. How many enjoyed the walk through creation? 
How many you see God's plan? Come on, give Him glory for His Word. Let's stand together. We're taking time with us because I want it so well documented and established in you that you understand the process God went through to get to where He got man. It's important. It's not something we just want to flip through because if God took three chapters to get it out there, then we need to understand why it's there. The reason I'm saying that is because we're going to move into, once this concept of the rest, the Sabbath is established, we're going to move into a study of God's kingdom in this earth. And we're going to be referring back to this regularly. I want it solid in your thinking so that when I say it, you go, oh, I get it. I understand where we came from, the reason we got to where we are today. And when you understand that, it all manifests. So God didn't just decide to start a new religion. No, he established his earth as creation. He fully intended for his man to be an authority over that creation. And as a result of having lost that, he gets hold of Abraham and says, Now I'm going to use you and we're going to work together. I'm going to teach you and show you how my kingdom works so that I can reestablish it through you as a covenant promise of entering a rest. Amen. Amen. We're going to see how the Sabbath, God's rest, manifests in the life of Abraham. And that's before any law. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.